Welcome to Blitzcast, an NFL Draft podcast brought to you by NFLDraftBlitz.com. And now, your hosts, Alex Kavtov and Ed Hunt. Welcome back to another episode of Blitzcast. This is your host, Brendan Bolin. And as always, I'm joined alongside my fantastic partners, Ed Hunt and Angelo Carriero. How are you gentlemen feeling about a week after the draft? Are, are we feeling good about our teams, boys? Yeah, man. Yeah. I, I'm feeling um, better. Good, I've good. talked myself into it. Yep. All right, all right. Yeah, Angelo, I early on, I didn't know how you'd be feeling. We'll, we'll, we'll get further into it. But, man, this draft had everybody that wrote up a mock draft just questioning their life decisions, questioning if this was the right field for them or not. Because, wow, that was one of the craziest... I, in my lifetime, I know you guys are quite a bit older than me, but in my lifetime, that was one of the craziest. And I was Brendan, kind of quite a bit. Jeez, man, it's not like we're <laughs> like it's not like we're in retirement homes, buddy. Like we're like... <laughs> but yeah, yeah, yeah. I get what you're saying. You know, just since just since you're like what eleven, like yeah, we, we get it. You know, we we've seen a couple of drafts in our day. Exactly, exactly. So this was a big surprise for me. I mean, we we got a lot to talk about. We're gonna get into our biggest storylines, our head scratch and moves, some smoke screens that we were able to sniff out or maybe not and then we'll get into you know some of our favorite picks maybe some of our least favorite picks and you guys I'm super excited a week early on it it took some convincing for me that this draft worked out for for my Cleveland Browns but at this point I'm feeling good I'm feeling good about the draft wouldn't say great but I'm super excited to talk about this the the first first two days with you guys you guys have any questions before we get rocking and rolling no sir I don't have any questions, and Brendan's not eleven; he's twelve. No, let's get, let's get, let's get, let's get, let's get hey, into the, it. Let's do it, my friend. So let's kick it off with the biggest storylines, and there's two that I think you know are kind of go at par on that really blew our mind. Uh, let's kick it off with the quarterbacks uh, in the NFL. You know, it's it's pretty much a quarterback-driven league, and there was one quarterback taken in the first round, kind of unexpected. And it wasn't even necessarily the quarterback I expected to go first, but here it happened, you guys. Malik Willis fell to what was the fourth round. Uh, and it was the Kenny, third round, the third, pick 86. Me, yep. And, and uh, Kenny Pickett is staying in Pittsburgh with the Pittsburgh Steelers, you guys. Blew my mind, honestly. That pick blew my mind. Uh, I, I believe it's, you know, teams are kind of concerned with Malik Willis's ability to run an NFL offense. Uh, because at Liberty, it was such a basic offense. He was getting play calls from the coaches. It wasn't necessarily him running that football team. Is that all you think it was holding him back? Or do you think there's you know, concerns with his physical limitations, which I don't think there are many at all? Uh, was it that big of a problem that you know he simply can't control an offense at this point in his career? I think for where he went, I think it was a good value pick. I mean, that's that's kind of how I see it. Like we, we we waited. I mean, we being the Pittsburgh Steelers, we waited till number twenty to take him. Um, and and you know when you when you think about it, this is a safer pick. I mean, one of the things we talk about is like higher upside. You know what I'm saying? And you know we kind of put those guys in a box. You know what I mean? We say higher upside, lesser upside. But really, I mean the the sky's the limit for Kenny Pickett too. I mean, that's that's the truth. I mean, the fact of the matter is, is that he does have the height. He does have enough arm strength. He does have the accuracy. He has the good decision-making skills. He's a great runner. Um, so I, the more I think about this pick, the more I'm actually happy. I think, I think you know, the Steelers need something instant. 
Um, I, I, I don't know how many weeks you can go with Mitchell Trubisky. So I, I think you, you go with something instant. You go with him. And uh, I, I actually like the pick. I, I really do. Um, I probably would have preferred Malik Willis. But, uh, you know, there, there's probably something that the Pittsburgh Steelers see in Malik Willis that I don't see. Um, one thing I do want to mention is, is that Mike Tomlin played Steeler Nation like a film. Yeah. Like, I mean, the way he, the way he, you know, he, he coveted Malik Willis. I mean, that was the the joke was is that was the worst kept secret in Mobile was that the Steelers love Malik Willis. And to be honest with you, you turn on the tape with Malik Willis and you say, "I believe Mike Tomlin." And then, I mean, he he took the guy who they probably know about because they share a building. Uh, you know, the the Pittsburgh Panthers, tra- uh, you know, practice facility is in the same building as the Pittsburgh Steelers, so they they have a good idea of you know who this kid is as a kid. I mean, they they know him. Uh, you could tell by the phone call when they got him. But uh, I didn't realize. I mean, I just as a this is just an antidote as a Pittsburgh Steelers fan, as I instantly became a huge fan of Kenny Pickett, just sitting there. And he's sitting there crying, like I mean, that's like that's like how I would feel if I was drafted by the Pittsburgh Steelers. And it was like it was like there's something tells me like this guy really wanted to go to Pittsburgh. Yeah, I think that's pretty important in terms of seeing seeing that type of love and admiration. You know that the guy's going to come in ready to work and be adamant at it. I, I think if anything, what we learned about this is possibly not as much that Malik Willis can't run an NFL offense or because we've seen plenty of times that Sean Sean McVay for an example is sending in messages to Jared Goff or Matt Stafford and Kyle Shanahan in a group like th- these coaches are so in the ears of players these days that I'm not sure if it's like the old timey like you get to play from the sideline and then it's just you out there on your own what I will say is that it's a little bit of an indictment on two different things It's about quarterbacks that aren't ready to play right away. And Brendan, that possibly could go into it. Not that he can't, but maybe he's not ready to do it right now. And also, as as much as it sucks to say it because talent comes in all shapes and sizes, but Malik Willis wasn't even the second quarterback off the board. He was the third quarterback off the board, and the two quarterbacks that went ahead of him have much more of that NFL prototype size that we typically look for at the position. On top of that, what I meant by the being ready to play uh, right away is that if you look back at the last, I would say, four drafts, if you go all the way, five drafts maybe, if you go all the way back, the last quarterback to sit a full year, and please correct me if I'm wrong, that was picked in the first round that wasn't behind a back-to-back MVP was Patrick Mahomes. Since then, we have had, in the 2019 draft, Kyler Murray, Daniel Jones, Dwayne Haskins was the one that sat the longest, and he ended up uh, uh, starting in that, I, I believe. Was was Daniel Jones – Daniel Jones wasn't drafted while Eli was still there, right? Eli had retired by that point? I believe that was the year Eli retired, correct? Okay, because like, uh, because if I you look at twenty, the same team for. I think they were on the same team for a year. I'm starting. I'm I'm starting to wonder that. But you had, uh, but you had. He did play. You had uh, Joe Burrow. Tua came in that season. Herbert came in early that season. You look at uh, last year. Trevor Lawrence played. Now Trey Lance uh, did sit. So I will have to. I will have to give that. So it's kind of like okay. 
How can we relate those where you had, well, Justin Fields ended up playing. Mac Jones started right away. Uh, you, ha- you have these quarterbacks that come in. Zach Wilson played a lot. So you look at, okay, what's the difference between all of these? And this is what I'm trying to figure out as we're going through as Malik Willis is dropping. Number one, Trey Lance sat. Daniel Jones might have sat. Like the guys that sit, they're all 6'4", mobile quarterbacks, all, all that prototype size. Okay? That to me shows, and you look at a drop of a player we'll talk about tomorrow as well, size ran king at quarterback during this weekend. The two quarterbacks that went in the top 85 picks both had quote-unquote prototype size, and both of them were what? They were four-year starters in college. And that's something that we kind of went away from the last couple of years with 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 how talented some of these kids are. Uh, they went back to the well of we need guys that have played a lot that can come in and they have experience and they have the size. So I thought that was a really interesting part of it. Do I agree with it? Obviously not. My top two quarterbacks weren't the first two quarterbacks picked, <laughs> and uh, one of them dropped all the way to the fifth round, and Willis dropped to 86. So it's just it, – it was, it was very, very telling what the NFL was looking for in this draft. Do you all think that I'm right, or was this more the draft was – there are so many teams in the league right now that think they can compete for the playoffs that they wanted to get players that can contribute right away. I mean, I I think it's a healthy combination of both. Like, obviously, uh, I, I can understand why a team would think a guy like Kenny Pickett is the best day one starter coming into the league. But um, it is also, I mean, you look at the AFC, there's about, what, 13 legitimate teams that could even, that could, you know, sniff a wild card. So I think it's a combination of what you mentioned and... More than half the league is ready to win right now, Angela, at least ready to compete in a sense, in a playoff sense. You know, I don't think Pittsburgh, with with how can... They've been a a competitive team for my entire existence, you know. There's not a time in Mike Tomlin's life where he hasn't at least been uh, 500, right? So I think that they're saying, like, you know... I don't care that the AFC North... The the AFC is at an all-time high competition. Uh, We want to win right now, and I think for, uh, you know... this this is more specifically not the st- for the Steelers I guess um but they're they're in that we're not taking a chance on a guy that we have to kind of you know build build around maybe put some uh, like training wheels on a guy like Kenny Pickett I think is you know could run a very similar offense to what Ben Roethlisberger ran and like you mentioned is is maybe a little bit of a throwback draft we want the big classic I mean John Elway would have gone nuts with these first few guys picked you know they're just the the classic prototypical quarterback size and I think like you said the last few years we've been so drawn by the sheer talent of these guys we never really looked at the fact are are they four-year starters do they have all the prototypical things that you want in a, a quarterback nowadays well none of these guys really blew us away with the sheer talent you know like there was nobody that had the arm talent of Justin Herbert there's nobody that had the killer instinct with Joe Burrow so I think that it was kind of like okay let's take the best like prospect, I guess, and let's throw him. Let's let's not, let's not take a chance on a guy that we have to build around right now. Um, well, I, I, what was what was concerning was this, we're talking about the AFC, but a team like let's say Washington. Mm-hmm. Okay, sure, they wanted to get a wide receiver for Carson Wentz, and maybe that's a leverage piece against Terry McLaurin. Like, who who knows the exact motivation behind pushing Jahan Dotson or your guy Jahan Godson up the board <laughs> so high? 
But to go in the second round and take Fedarian Mathis, who to mm-hmm. me is a develop like another Alabama defensive tackle, when they already have two that are cemented starters, you was that second round pick really worth Fedarian Mathis uh, over the potential of what Malik Willis could be when you're sitting there with Carson Wentz and you're able to get out of his contract after next year? I don't. Get you just rebranded your team too. Like I just don't get why some of these other teams. That's why like it's gonna we're gonna have to spend some time next year really really dissecting what happened with this class. And I mean, obviously we can also say some of it was media driven, uh, but we also watch what we watch and we saw the raw talents that Malik Willis had. I think we would all agree that in terms of raw talent that Malik Willis had the most in this draft, but to completely for some of these teams to just completely bypass him when it would have been worth a, worth a shot at, at, at some point, I mean, any team trading up into the third, I I'm, that's why what surprised me, the quarter to me, that was the story was seeing Malik Willis drop and the quarterbacks, none going in the second round after Malik Willis was, I mean, Jordan Reed of ESPN, and I, I think he was a little biased, but I mean, he was mocking Malik Willis number two overall two days before the draft. Yeah, it was like that. This was like that's why I was saying at the beginning of the show, this was one of the most interesting drafts I've ever watched. There, there's a player that we'll get to, you know, later on in the show that there, him alongside one player fell by three rounds, you know, two rounds longer than we thought they were going to. It, it, it was, it just goes to show that, you know, we, we can tell maybe how good a guy's going to be, but we can never really tell what a team thinks about a guy or what a well, team's Well, I, I think I know is. who you're talking about. I think you're talking, and I don't want to spoil it, uh, but I, I'm, I'm going to. I think you're talking about N'Kobe Dean, but that, that very much seemed injury more than, you know, the injury red flags more. That, that's the weird thing too, guys. Did y'all notice? That's a, that's, Ed, a Ed, that's, a, that's a 100% injury. I mean, there's, yeah, no, right. there's no way. There's can no, I, well, can hold I on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Did you all notice that at least that came out about N'Kobe Dean, but not a lick came out about Malik Willis's drop? I didn't hear one reason why he dropped, just the fact that he did. That was the most odd thing to me. Like in the in the entire process is that nothing slipped out on draft day. Like oh this happened. Oh this like even Matt Corral. At least we heard when he dropped. They were like yeah he you know he might abuse alcohol and suffers from depression. Like thanks Ian Rappaport. Uh, but like that stuff it makes sense to me. Oh that's why he dropped. I can see that nothing came out about Willis. Right. I mean I I, I, I honestly think with Willis it has it had everything to do with the fact that he ended up at Liberty and he just didn't stay at a big school. I think that's a huge reason why he he, he fell to where he is. You're so Ed, you're pretty much saying it's not even that any he did anything wrong. It was just, yeah, this is what a small school quarterback that has raw tools goes is the third round. Like that makes classical sense. Like like when I was making that comparison earlier, um you don't get Steve McNair's anymore. Like, you know, that you could have been like a Malik Willis type, like where he sat for three years coming out of Alcorn State but still went third overall. Like, you just don't – we just – it's like the NFL doesn't have time for that anymore. And obviously, like y'all were saying, maybe maybe he just was too far away from playing to be warranted as a, you know, well, first well, or even he, second-round pick. Well, here's where I disagree with the NFL is like – when you saw him play in Mobile, like Kenny Pickett was there, you know, Bailey Zapp was there, you know, all these guys were there, you know, Carson Strong was there. 
I mean, let's be real. Like Malik Willis was the best of that group. Like it's not even just like potential. It's like he's he's just as good, if not better, than some of those guys. He, I, I think honestly in Mobile, Malik Willis was better than Kenny Pickett. You know, saying something too, and that yeah, that's a that's a it that the quarterback situation. I I really did think that was the most interesting part of of the. It's always about the quarterbacks, right, guys? It's always (laughs) quarterbacks. All right, well, so we don't get too sucked into this quarterback talk. Let's talk about I think obviously the second biggest story. Well, I don't I don't know if I could even say obviously, but the first overall pick, gentlemen. I know I was banging on the table saying there's no chance there's no chance Jacksonville doesn't take Aiden Hutchinson right well boy was I wrong they pulled a Jacksonville move and they took Trayvon Walker first overall if if I heard that news a month before the draft I'd be running around like a madman like what is going on with the world (laughs) you know but a day before the draft two days I heard the whispers I was like don't be shocked if this happened you know pick number one Jags are on the clock and it happens I was mind blown I truly was in my opinion Aiden Hutchinson, Aiden Hutchinson was far and away the number one overall pick. I don't, I don't love the idea of taking a raw pass rusher, a guy that's, you know, yes, he's real effective at setting the edge, good run stuffer. I don't love taking that. Am I wrong to say that Trayvon Walker, in a way, not, I'm not saying his career is going to pan out this way. It, this just reminds me of the Jadavian Clowney pick. You have a super athletic edge that's good at, hold, you know, that is not great pa- at pass rushing, but can set the edge and stop the run. Who is that's literally Jadavian? Okay, Clowney. okay, okay, okay. I'm gonna stop you right say there, young and athletic. But that I mean, that's the similar skill set. No, let me let me stop you right there, young man. Because like you said, how we're old men. I am old enough to remember Jadavian Clowney from like the time he was recruited to the time he was drafted. There's a big difference between Jadavian Clowney and Trayvon Walker. I think Clowney Num- was a better. Well, let me get through it. Let me get through it. Number one, Clowney was the Clowney was considered to possibly be like one of the greatest high school football players ever. Like, period. He's he's considered the greatest high school football player in South Carolina history. He goes to South Carolina. His sophomore year, by all accounts, is like what kind of like what Stingley did his freshman year is what Clowney did his sophomore year. He was so magnificent his sophomore year, it cemented his number one overall pick status, you know, two years later. That's what happened with him. There was, at least with Clowney, there was a legend to him. Trayvon Walker was someone that even, I think, some people going into the draft prospect process was like, okay, Quay Walker, Trayvon Walker. You know, which one, which one, which Walker is which Walker? And then you're like, oh, okay, it's this one and this one. All right, I'll start scouting them and blah, blah, blah. Like, there is no, there is no lauded history with Trayvon Walker. Trayvon Walker is, is essentially one of the first times, and Ed, you, you tell me a long time that we've had a, a combine warrior really come up the board like this. I mean, that usually means like you're in the top 10, you're on the top 15. That's, that's the grade I have on him. That's usually what that means. But they never say, okay, you're number one. You know, we never, like, w- when you get that instant, you get that instant gratification with Aiden Hutchinson. I mean, usually that's the guy who goes first, and that's why I was wrong, because it's, it's never been done that way. And to, to back up on what Angelo was saying, let me rephrase my, my like, Clowney far and away was the better prospect and was a guy that was deserving of his pick, right? 
what they bring as football players to me is is very similar skill set. And if if you're if that's what you see him as as a dominant run stuffer, an, an elite athlete on the edge that can set the edge. That's what you got in Jadavian Clowney. So are you saying what Clowney brought at the NFL level was worthy of a first overall pick? Or do you think he has the tools to to make the step that Clowney necessarily never made? Uh, it's just, with the number one overall pick, I'm expecting somebody to take a complete prospect. You know, a guy that they think has a complete bag. Not a guy that really is not a pass rusher in a sense at all. Is just really that run-stuffing, run-setting edge. I just... I don't understand what the Jags are trying to do with it. I under, like yes, I understand the athlete you're getting with Trayvon Walker, but I just can't understand like what's your expectations out of Walker to be the number one overall pick over Aiden Hutchinson? It, I, it just does not make sense to me. I think what we saw. I mean, I think when you compare him to Clowney, I think that says it all right there. Bus potential. I mean, Clowney Clowney showed more. Than Trayvon Walker, like there's 100%. just there's so much more bust potential with Trayvon Walker. He just he doesn't have the tape, and 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 the fact is is that like when you when you when you draft a guy number one, you want tape, you want measurables, you want great interview, you you want all these things, and I'm sure he hit in a lot of these boxes, but. I mean, when you got a guy who plays the same position and checks all these boxes and was in the Heisman conversation as a defensive player and was a Heisman finalist as a as a defensive player and you don't draft him, ridiculous. Ridiculous. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I, I can see the bust part of it. I, I'm not sure if I'm willing to go that far because I think that he could have a really long NFL career, maybe in the same vein as Clowney in sense of, you know, you're really good – but it, it, there's that extra level, and I think Clowney probably. I mean, I'm just saying. I'm just saying. I think Clowney's highest highs maybe higher than what Walker could have. I know he's an incredible athlete, but the tape shows what the tape showed. And you can make any excuses for Georgia's defense and the way that it was designed, but I truly believe. That the best player, if Trayvon Walker was the best player on that defense, that they would have found a way to use him in a more impactful way. You wouldn't, you like that. You wouldn't, you wouldn't take a player at college that's phenomenal. And I know that, that some people do. Maybe in different sports that that happens, where you share a ball, but on defense you don't share the ball. You highlight your best player, let them make the mismatches, and have everybody else feed off of that. And I just don't really think that's what mostly happened with Walker he's gonna take a lot of developing I I think that the the thing that I saw as we got closer and closer to the draft I Walker moved up people's boards like on ESPN he's the second player in the draft Daniel Jeremiah had him in his top six or seven like there were there were plenty of sources that moved him up I just truly wonder if that's people trying to keep up with the rise and not wanting to be wrong like, oh, what, look at this fool. Like me, I had Trayvon Walker, I think it's 17 on my board, which is good. I have him as a definite first-round prospect. I was just like, I'd rather take him in the back half of the first round. Where Do you all think that people pushed him up the board because of where he was slotted to go? Or do you think that people started catching on late to his film? Because I think it's, from what it sounds like, we all agree that it was more of a more of a projection push than a tape push. Oh, 100%. I think that I, I think I think it was the big media sources got kind of wind of it. I think that's what it was. 
Right. Once you start seeing NFL Network and everybody have Trayvon Walker, you know, in their top three consistently, we're going to be like, oh, okay, maybe, maybe they might be catching on to something that we don't know. So I, I, because I, in my mock drafts, I did not want to put Trayvon Walker top three. I thought he was, you know, a 10 to 13 guy, uh, but number one overall pick to still, I, it does not make sense to me. It does not make sense to me, but hey, the Jags will be the Jags, right folks? Yeah. But hey, if I'm if I'm a Detroit fan, I'm running. I'm uh, sending my thank you letters down to Jacksonville. Why? But, Why? Well, because you got Mr. Aiden Hutchinson. There we go. Okay, oh. now that you revealed it to me. Yeah, yeah, man. Det- <laughs> I mean, dude, I, if it's Detroit's in that too, the whole time you're expecting, all right, hey, I'll I'll take Trayvon. You get the second best player available, you know. But no, they got the best player. So. Detroit is heading and he's in a, and he's direction. a local kid too, so they exactly. know a lot about him. Exactly, you you got to yeah. root for a guy like that. But we, it's we not still... it's not often you get the best player in the draft at two. Now this has happened before, where a player you're not expecting, or maybe a quarterback goes one, and you get the best non quarterback at two, like Nadama Sue in 2010. But yeah, this is for for to be the best player in the draft and someone at your own position go ahead of you. I think that if I'm not mistaken, that's super rare. Like that that definitely does not happen. So I I mean it's Detroit. I'll tell you what, day one, day two, Detroit hit an absolute home run, and we'll get more into that here in a little bit later. But I mean, you could argue. Uh, Brendan and Ed, uh, that wasn't even the best uh, value of defensive end they took. You know, there's a guy in the second round that nobody's mm-hmm. heard of that I thought was pretty good, but we'll get to that later. All right, gentlemen. So we went, we went over one and two with uh, Trayvon Walker and Aiden Hutchinson. I will say, Derek Stingley at three, it was a surprise to me. I'm not going to lie. I mean, it it after it happened, I was like, okay, it makes sense to me, but it was not too often that I saw Stingley mocked at three, and I personally... I, I just I expected the Texans to go a different route earlier on, but Sting, I don't dislike the pick one bit. Uh, that was one of the few where the smoke. Well, not really. I thought that this year there were less smoke screens and more inf- actual information was leaked. Uh, this was one where it was actual information. And Stingley, it's funny. My first mock draft that I did at this process, it was at the end of January, I think. I had Stingley to the Texans because I thought that position of need plus talent made sense. And for the Texans, it's like, okay, how do we want to rebuild this franchise? What position's important? All of that. Derek Stingley to the Texans. I actually love the fit and love the pick. I really, really do. You all know that I had Stingley ranked number one. You heard it Mm -hmm. on the NFL Draft Blitzcast top 10 corners episode along with Brendan's top five uh, defensive lineman and edges. Stingley has all the talent at a premium position. And if you look at what Houston did, they really relied on their area scouts. They focused their first three picks all within that Houston, Texas range of of where they of where they scout with LSU, Texas A and M, and Baylor. So they they definitely trusted that. But on top of it all, I just think I, I thought that was a really good pick that surprised a lot of people. And then absolutely, I I love the pick. It was probably one of my favorite top ten picks. And then number four, the Jets. I mean, I <laughs> I was not expecting to come into this podcast saying, you know, we can make an argument the Jets had the best draft in the NFL. Uh, but at number four, they took Mr. Ahmad Sauce Gardner. And once again, I love the pick. It's a position of need. The, the Jets legitimately got, like, arguably the best player at three positions. I, I love how the Jets attacked the draft. I love the fact that, you know, Stingley was off the board. They knew corners were going to go. 
So you had to take Sauce at number four. And I, I'm not so sure that if Stingley didn't go at three, if Sauce, Sauce still might have been that pick at four. I mean, I mean, I'm I'm just gonna say, like, I I thought that I think the Jets are quietly becoming a very good team. I just think I just think it's a matter of you know whether you can get Zach Wilson going. I think that is the big question mark. Because like Zach Wilson has all the tools right now. Yeah, I was Zach. I was a big Zach Wilson guy last year. I had him as my second quarterback. Uh, so I, I definitely believe that. I thought the Gardner pick was perfect because that's what they need. Is that they have a bunch of corners that can do stuff, but they need one corner that can just help make the others better. And part of that is getting that boundary corner and just having them stick over there, and then you can kind of match up the other guys. You don't have to worry about one of them being on a number one or doing this. Like I, I, I like the pick because I think it fits what that defense needs. And on top of that, I think Gardner getting pushed up to four after Stingley, and, you're, and you all are right. He probably could have been the pick whether Stingley had gone three or not. But we didn't have another corner taken until 21. So in the middle of the first round, no corner was taken. So there was a clear demarcation between the top two and the rest. Absolutely. I think I think if Sauce and Stingley were 99.9% of every every NFL uh, draft person's one and two, Let's let's hop can, into pick. Can, can, can I, can oh I just, yes, sir. Can I just play the devil's advocate? I will say though that corner is a very hard position to draft, and when you go four, when you go seven, you know, when you go three, uh, you know, there's that bust potential where you have a chance of kind of wasting that number three or four pick. So oh, I mean, yeah. you better you better hit on those picks. You know what I'm saying? Absolutely. I mean, cornerback is in. I will say that defensively, cornerback is the hardest position to play on that side of the football. I don't, I, I don't think it's close. Cornerback is. That's why there's so few elite cornerbacks in football. But that's that's for. That's true. But I will say the last couple. I mean, Okuda with his injuries. I'd like to see how he comes back because I really liked him coming out. But if you look at the last two that went in the top five, uh, you had Denzel Ward and Jalen Ramsey, and both signed 100 million extensions. So yes, it seems sir. like that if you are worthy of that top five pick and NFL teams identify you, that you're likely a sure thing. We'll see what happens with Jeff Okuda, though. No, absolutely. I mean, Okuda's film was just filthy, man, filthy. We'll get into that later, though. Uh, let's, let's hop into pick number five. And, man, I was happy to see this guy go with the fifth overall pick. And the Giants destroyed the, their top 10. They, they knocked it out of the park, in my opinion. They got Kayvon Thibodeau with the fifth overall pick. So glad this guy didn't fall, like some people were saying. I, I absolutely love the pick. And I think the Giants got their two number one choices in the first round. This, this top 10 worked out perfectly for the New York football Giants. I, I say it like this. Your grandfather's Giants had Lawrence Taylor. Your dad's Giants had Michael Strahan. And now your Giants have Kayvon Thibodeau. <laughs> yes. I, I think he's I think he's now I know Ed disagrees. He's probably over here like unplugging his microphone and filing <laughs> my fire my he's probably made my pink slip right now. But um <laughs> Kayvon Thibodeau, we both really loved him as a pass rusher, Brendan. And I just think that for his amount of talent, I really did think he should have probably gone off third overall. Uh, I can't blame the Stingley pick. I just thought that Kayvon Thibodeau was more of a sure thing, even though people act like he isn't. I, I think that he's going to find tons of success and he's going to get a massive second contract in New York. The thing is, is that I just, I just see some bust potential in this guy. 
I just I just do. I just don't see I just don't see a guy who dominated as a pass rusher. I saw a guy who 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 got sacks, but I don't see like I don't see that elite elite level of pass rushing. I think I think the way that we've always been on the divide here because I agree with you he has bust potential, but I think that there were there were enough plays of dominance that I was comfortable with. Like, can, can you at least admit he's a better pass rusher than than Trayvon Walker? Absolutely, hundred okay. percent. All right, all right. Then we're 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 here. We we yeah. don't we don't have to argue too much. And then <laughs> before we get to the Giants' other pick, he, honestly, like, look, Hutchinson was the best pick because you got him at two when he should have gone one. Charles Cross was my number one two n- number two overall player. He went nine. We'll get to him in a second. But Ika McQuanu for the Panthers to sit there at six and bide their time, be patient, and get. The tackle that was consensusly number one on people's board, on top of being a player that I think could play right away at such a position of need for them, I thought it was a. I never, I never did a mock draft or saw one where Ika McQuanu lasted to six. To see him go there, I was like, oh my goodness, the Panthers, like they, they that that I think was the biggest present in the top ten in my mind. What do you all think? No, absolutely. I mean, Ika McQuanu, uh throughout the entire process, slowly but surely became, you know, he was he was forcing his way into my number one. I was torn. And uh, to like you said, I saw him getting picked, you know, two or three on almost every mock draft. So him to be there at six, Carolina's like, well, we, we, we all know how the league felt about uh, Malik Willis. So it was no question for them. I mean, they're like, this is the best player on the board. We're taking Ikemakwanu, and we're going to have that tackle position locked down for the foreseeable future. I mean, that that Panthers team is a lot more talented than people really want to recognize. So mm-hmm. to, to be able to get that anchor down on the tackle position, that Panthers team is seriously one that can compete for a wild card here, like I, I like next year. I really oh, I don't I don't think it's a question actually. I identify. I I was you know how people say the preseason's worthless. I was watching Panthers preseason games, and that defense reminded you. Do you remember not not the not the Super Bowl Panthers? Do you all remember the first year that they were good when they went twelve and four with Cam? Was that they like had one? this young, nasty, aggressive defense, and they that this defense reminded me of that Panthers defense. I think it was like 2012, 13, something like that in that range. This that is what they had and they had the number 1 defense in football for about 6 weeks before McCaffrey went down on offense leading that offense to completely die and the injuries kind of started racking up. This team coming back healthy with that defense with the with the skill players that they had. I'm a big DJ Moore guy. If if they needed an offensive line, so what did they do? They went out inside a, a I believe it was Bradley Bozeman at center. They got uh, they got a guard. Do you all remember the guard? Because they got a good guard as well, and they started filling out their offensive line. I'll look it up really quick. And then and then Ikemakwanu. That's really all they needed was to shore up that tackle spot, and they did it. And I I mean, and they did it in such a big way. It wasn't it wasn't one of those uh, that you had to. It was Austin Corbett, I think, was the uh, the other guard that they chose. But yeah, you didn't have to. Now you don't have to worry about that left tackle position anymore. And I think that's going to make Darnold better. And I think that is going to make help whoever's next at that position. You know, whoever's next. If it's Matt Crowell, whatever. I agree. This team ready to compete this year. 
You know, I can hear Lee Corso saying, "Not so fast, my friend." I mean, I know he's a college football guy, but you know, if, if there was a if there was a Lee Corso in the draft, he'd say, "Not so fast, my friend." I still have questions about the Panthers at the quarterback position. Now, did they do the right thing taking a Quanu? Yes, but do they do they still have a lot of question marks at the quarterback position? Yeah, I mean, you talk about Sam Darnold, mostly no. They do. Matt, they Matt do. There's, there's Matt, still Matt there's Corral, still potential. Matt Corral. I mean. You know, there's there's some questions. The whole league has questions about him. I mean, there's the it's not it's not a finalized position. I agree, but I you know I don't think that this is you know the Panthers are a team we're saying. Hey, I think they're gonna make a deep playoff. I mean, the, a team like the Eagles last year that really not many people expected to make it in the wild card somehow made it in there, and it's because they played good defense throughout. The, and I I think that the the Panthers are kind of a similar team. They have talented skills positions. The defense is very, very structurally built. Uh, yes, you have a big concern at quarterback, but I mean, hey, baby, defense wins the championships. Not saying that that's going to happen by any means, but uh, I really, the, the Panthers are just a very well constructed team. Maybe they don't have all the, you know, all pros and pro bowlers, but that team is just built so well. And the fact that, you know, they're saying, hey, I'm comfortable enough with my skills position. We're going to start, you know, making sure everything in the trenches is A1. I really just like the direction this team's going in. Honestly, you know, with how talented the skills positions are, and if McCaffrey can be healthy, you're not asking much out of Sam Darnold, you know. You're not asking him to be a top 12 quarterback. I mean, they can make it to the to the wild card with Sam Darnold being, you know, like the you know 20th ranked quarterback in football. That might be a little bit of a higher ask, but... If you can get even like a slightly below average Sam Darnold, I think this team is well built enough around the table to slip into a wild card. But I mean, I mean, and and, and I want to ask about Sam Darnold. Are we are we done with Sam Darnold? Are we totally done, or or is there is there still kind of a a crack in the door that Sam Darnold can prove himself? Oh, I'm I hate to say it, but I'm cracking the door. I hate to say it. I'm so sorry. But I, there's something there's something about Sam Darnold where he was successful early with McCaffrey and then losing McCaffrey and that offense really kind of went to hell overall. I mean, that offensive line was – got to admit, he looked a little like Sam Howell behind that North Carolina offensive line this year <laughs> when, when, when McCaffrey went out and the floodgates started opening up. And I know it's perpetual excuses of Sam Darnold. I understand. Trust me. But there's just something. There's just something that keeps it just a smidgen alive. Uh, I, I I don't know though. I mean, like, I, it just seems like he'll probably never get over the 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 mistakes and turnovers part of his game. Uh, but I'm willing I'm willing to to watch television with him on screen one more year before I before I finally change the channel. <laughs> yeah, I'll I'll respect that. I'll respect that. Well, let's let's uh let's hop over into the to the seventh overall pick, and that's the Giants hitting hitting another great pick. I mean, I know Evan Neal was a, a little bit overrated to somebody on the show, which I mean I can understand, but uh, to a lot of people, still you know one of one of the, the if not the best tackle in the draft. So I really think that knowing the Giants, Evan Neal Evan Neal was probably their tackle of choice. So to to be able to get the two players of choice in the top 10. I mean, it's just unbelievable. You can't ask for more if you're a Giants fan to be able to get a guy that has probably the highest ceiling on the defensive side of the ball, at least defensive line, and then a guy that's arguably the best tackle in the draft. You can't really do much better than that in the top 10. 
let me ask you all. Yes, sir. Would you all rather have Thibodeau and Neil, or let's just even say Neil? Or okay, how about how about I frame it like this? It makes it a little easier. Would you rather have Evan Neal and Kadarius Tony or Justin Fields? Because that's what they traded. They traded away the opportunity to select Justin Fields to get this first round pick that was Evan Neal. At this point, I'm gonna say no because now knowing their situation with Kadarius Tony, that he's open and he's on the trade market, and they pretty much just drafted his replacement. Uh, I I'm going Justin Fields. I really I think I would. I, I'm going Justin Fields, honestly. Ed, gosh, Justin Fields is such an unknown. <laughs> that's just that's just a hard qu- that's that's just a question I don't know the answer to. I just, well, let's I, look, well, it's also Evan Neal's an unknown. We haven't seen him play a snap. So I'm just saying overall, like even if they finish just as bad, would you rather have Justin Neal or Justin Fields and Cave on Thibodeau, or would you add Thibodeau, Neal, and and Tony? You know, I, mean, it's... I, I like I like Evan Neal. I like Evan Neal for sure. I mean, I just know I just know the Giants. They really value that what what they are on the line of scrimmage. That's just that 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 goes back to Gettleman. I know. I, I I would say this: if I knew that I could come away from this draft with Kayvon Thibodeau a year before, which you don't know, you don't know that. But right. to give up the opportunity to draft Justin Fields, who was another you know kind of surprise dropper last year. I just think with the uncertainty around Daniel Jones, and I, I, I had I like Justin Fields last year, to be honest. Like I, I, I thought that he could be a franchise quarterback. Uh, I think it's harder to pass on a guy, especially when you're so uncertain. I was surprised last year that they did it, and then seeing the results for the Giants, I just, I just wonder. I just wonder. This was a decent haul, uh, but I do, I do wonder. I agree with you. I mean, you can't complain about getting a guy like Evan Neal, but at the same time, you know, you wouldn't, you, you kind of want to, you don't, like, if you're the Giants, you don't want to look too far back saying, you know, dang, maybe we, what, what would it be like if we could have had a guy like Justin Fields? But no, I, I agree with you. But hey, hindsight's always twenty twenty. I, you know, it, it definitely could have worked out worse. You know, it, it's, it didn't even work out bad for the Giants, but that's just. I don't, it just depends. It just depends because right, what, right. With the way that you're tell. talking. Yeah, the way that you're talking, I guess it's just I thought Justin Fields was a franchise-level quarterback that you could draft last year. So it's just your opinion on Fields, I guess. So when he was there at 11 and they traded out of it, that's just where I was. That it, it'll it, To me, that'll always be linked to it. Was it worth it? Well, it's, it's tough because we would say, let's see how Justin Fields works out. But any quarterback that goes to the Bears, we've see, we see I, – I mean, I actually like the Bears day two, like with, the, with Brisker – and Gordon in the second round, but man, Justin Fields, it's like it's like a Mad Max movie on offense. It's just desolate land everywhere. <laughs> I mean yeah, he, that, that he hasn't he hasn't turned the corner. I see him as a very average quarterback. I don't see I don't see him as like a guy right now with a ton of upside. I Ooh, saw a guy okay. that I saw, agree I saw to disagree a guy on that one. That has, you know, all the potential in the world to be a franchise quarterback. I also, you know, I saw for example, the Cleveland Browns game I watched with him, they were asking a tight end to block Miles Garrett. That just says that says a lot about what they're doing to set Justin Fields up for success. Miles Garrett had four and a half sacks that game, folks. Let me let me ask Ed a question. Fishing. Wasn't Justin Fields' best game the one where the referees rigged it for the Steelers? I'm trying to trying to jog my memory. 
All right, you got me there. I mean, I don't know if we deserve to win that game. <laughs> I think I even told everyone that Monday that we didn't deserve to win that game. I think if, the, if that's the game I'm remembering, yeah, we didn't deserve to win that game. Yeah, exactly, exactly. All right, all right, all right. All we'll right. move on through the rest of the couple. Like, obviously, I'm going to hit on, on you know, like my, my guy. But London at 8. Drake London at 8. Mm. I know I took your job, Brendan. Drake London at 8. No, Did we like it you. or d- dislike it? You guys know how I feel about Drake London. In my opinion – He's not the best receiver on the board. I guess if you're Atlanta, maybe you're trying to get that. I mean, you're never going to get your next Julio Jones. We'll just put that out there now. It's not happening. Well, he's not Julio. Let's let's exactly. let's dead that in the water. Nobody's ever Julio Jones. Nobody. But maybe you're like, okay, let's try to go out and get our next big receiver of the future. I guess. Okay. I mean, I for the Falcons and their needs, I don't hate the pick. But if I if I'm the GM there, I'm going I'm going wide receiver, but I'm I'm going a little bit of a different route. Um, but I I can understand the pick for the Falcons. But you guys have heard me multiple times on this show how I I believe that Drake London's probably the most overrated receiver of this class. Not meaning he's bad, but to me that's not a guy that's worth the eighth overall pick. I I think what we saw in the draft more than anything in the top ten was need. Mm-hmm. This was a very need-heavy top ten. I, now, it I did, agree so much. I agree with that yeah, so much. Yeah, and it did. It, they were great players that were taken, like players high on boards. But it definitely was need-based. Uh, London was. I, I really think it kind of almost shows you the value of Mike Evans in Tampa because the Falcons played him twice a year for a while, and they were like, all right, let's get our Mike Evans. <laughs> yeah. So it obviously shows the value there, but like they needed a receiver and they took a receiver. So it was it was just very need based. But I agree, London wasn't the guy I would have taken. I, I like the upside with London. That's the thing, and I think I, I knew I knew that there was someone who was going to like him like that. It definitely it definitely gives that Atlanta Falcons kind of vibe. I mean, you have the big lengthy, res- I mean, receiver tight end, whatever you want to call Kyle Pitts, and then you pair that with Drake London. I mean, it's going to be a tough ask for defensive backs. To, to cover that much range between those two guys. But at the same time, there's a thing called depth, and they still need a little bit of that. So uh, I, I do, I'm excited to see what Drake London can do in Atlanta. Like you said, I think the fact that they've had to play Mike Evans t- twice a year for the last, what, eight, nine years is definitely made a little bit of an impact saying, hey, this is kind of the closest thing that we've seen to Mike Evans you know, recently. So let's take our chances with him. And I think that there, it's kind of a guy you're banking on the 6-4 upside. So I I don't hate the pick. I don't hate it, but like like Angelo and I have said, I would have maybe gone elsewhere. But let's hop into number nine. I mm. love this pick, boys. I love this pick, and that's Mr. Charles Cross to the Seattle Seahawks. I mean, I'll I think the, anybody that's go ahead, Angelo. I'll you take the floor on this one, Miss. <laughs> this was my number two overall player in the draft. This was my identified guy as like a blue chip offensive tackle prospect because at the left side, what is the most valuable thing? in the league other than having a franchise quarterback. It's protecting your franchise quarterback. And I think that whenever they get one, they're going to have a guy in Charles Cross that they coach up for a year, kind of get some of the kinks out of the game because he still was just a redshirt sophomore when he declared for the NFL draft. He's only been playing two years, but even after his redshirt freshman year, he was identified for this draft. Just one year of tape, and people were like, yep, that guy's a first-rounder. Like, he has... (laughs) All the things that you look for out of a blindside protector. And there wasn't a bigger need in the top 10 than Seattle with offensive tackle. I actually, in my final mock draft, I gave them Trevor Penning because I had all three tackles off the board. 
But that's how bad their tackle position was. So for them to get Charles Cross to develop for a year and whenever they do get their franchise quarterback in, I mean, I'm not saying he's Walter Jones, but he's going to be the best tackle they've had since him. And I do think that Cross's ceiling is number one with a bullet, best pass protector in football. So obviously it shows you how much I love the pick. I, th- I think they were smart to get a tier one offensive tackle and they, and they were nine, you know, they weren't in the top five. I mean, sometimes it's like, if you don't pick in the top five, you don't get that tier one offensive tackle. I think that that shows the depth of this offensive tackle class that the Seattle Seahawks were able to land Charles Cross. No, absolutely. I think Seattle got lucky that some of the corners maybe went a little bit sooner than we were expecting, which, you know, was really the only reason that I think Charles Cross was left because I, I I did not see Charles Cross making it out of the top five. I really didn't. So for Seattle to get a, like like Angela was saying, that tackle room, I, I was making a joke with Angelo saying, hey, dude, throw some pads on me. I might be able to start a game or two over there. So to be able to <laughs> land a guy that's, you know, in my opinion as well, has the highest ceiling for any tackle in this class is just a phenomenal pickup at nine. And I'm, um, Mr. Geno Smith's got to be happy about that one, right? No, Drew Locke got it on lockdown. <laughs> well, alrighty, gentlemen, that takes us into the 10th overall pick, and boy, did the Jets crush it. Did the Jets crush this draft, you guys? They landed Garrett Wilson, who was my number one receiver in this class, and that's who I would have maybe said should have gone with the 8th overall pick, but for the Jets to land him at 10, I, I'm, I'm so happy for them, and I think it's a great compliment to what Zach Wilson brings as the quarterback. I mean, I it was a mess in New York last year, folks. And I think what Zach Wilson brings with his deep ball is going to be a lot prettier and a lot more successful than we were expecting. Uh, and to be able to get a guy that can be effective on every level of the field, make those spectacular catches, has a big catch radius for his size. I think it's a great fit for the Jets. I love this pickup. Um, like I said, this is the best receiver in the draft and you're getting him at pick 10. I I, I thought that Garrett Wilson was a tad overrated. So I, I, I get I get some of the love with Garrett Wilson. I think he was a real he has a really good body and a really good athlete for that body at the receiver position. I thought the two receivers that were taken after him were better in Olave and Williams. But people were kind of acting like Garrett Wilson was was like a surefire, like in the Jamar Chase mold of wide receiver. And I wouldn't put him in the top five receivers of the last two drafts if you put him together. I, I'm a little lower. I'm not saying I thought he was terrible. I thought he was a first round level athlete I guess that I'm not as sure as everybody else is that he's going to not only come in and have that immediate impact but the upside is that of a you know bona fide first or second team all pro though it seems like that people do think that maybe maybe I'm a little off but I I like the other guys better and I I didn't see it but I, I mean I still think that the Jets could use a dynamic wide receiver that can make plays for for Zach Wilson. Uh, so I don't think that the player to need was the the worst, but I I don't know. I wasn't as high on Zach Wilson as every or Garrett Wilson as everybody else is. Ed, where where would you split the tie? I'm gonna go with I'm gonna go with the I think the one position that they really needed was wide receiver, and I think they got the best receiver that was available at the time. Okay, two to one. Angelo, can I can I ask you both of you guys? Can I ask you this? So I know, you, and Angelo, you say you're not as high on Garrett Wilson. 
do you think that he has a chance? I know you're not huge on player comparisons, but this is another receiver that was taken fairly early in the draft by the New York Jets that went to Ohio State. Does the name Devin Smith ring a bell? Oh, wait, 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 Devin, Devin Smith. Oh, are you talking about uh... second, second round pick by the Jets from Ohio State? The dude was just the deep threat machine in college. Yes, 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 yes. Okay. I think they also drafted, no, that was Washington directed Devin Thomas. Go ahead. Continue. So do you think the potential's there to, you know, because Devin Smith had the electric tape he had, you know, but going to a team like the Jets, there just wasn't really the opportunity for him to it's just hard. Sometimes it's hard to be successful if you're in the wrong place. And if you're in a team that's still trying to figure it out, I mean, we didn't see the success we thought we could potentially see with Elijah Moore, even though we see the talent. But do you think just simply because he's playing on the New York Jets that that could be something that holds him back? No, I I, I won't go and say that. I mean, they do have to, they, uh, they do have to get better. I'm not going to take history. Like every coaching staff's different. Every mm-hmm. player personnel staff is different. I can't sit here and say that, you know, a franchise is cursed, though I look at the Chargers and I'm like, you all are cursed. Like, <laughs> oh, you yeah. all are cursed, cursed. But, but no, I, it's not that. It's more or less that I think Garrett Wilson, I think he's like a, a – he's a really good athlete with a combination of things that makes him really good. Uh, I'm not – I think – I still think he needs to develop more as an actual wide receiver. I don't I, – I know that's not a popular opinion, but I think he's more of like a really great – like he's, he's not an elite athlete. He's a great athlete that's like a pretty good receiver. I'm just – I just wonder like where – like how much development has to go in there. And then if he does hit his ceiling – like, I mean, people are acting like he's Terrell Owens, and that's kind of the thing is, like, is he that great? And that's that's kind of where I'm – I'm maybe I've missed the boat. Uh, see, I can see where you're coming from with the overrated aspect. I think people are saying that, oh, this guy's going to be the bona fide, like, he's, he's the next best thing. Like, I'm not at that level, you know? I don't think any of these receivers are going to be – have the career that we uh, – from – that compared to the last, you know, top guys like the Jamar Chases, the Justin Jeffersons. I don't think we have a guy like that in this draft. But if we're, you know, comparing them to the rest of the... And I'll even say his counterpart, Chris Olave, right now, I don't think he's better. Does he have a higher NFL ceiling? I might say that. I really would. And I think the I think NFL teams might agree with me. And I think the Saints, the fact that they were willing to trade up and make that pick and get him right after might say that that they feel the same way as well. So I understand where you're coming from with the overrated aspect of Garrett Wilson about people, you know, hyping him up compared to the other classes. But within this class, I I would I would personally say that he is the best receiver. But I, I get where you're coming from. Well, all right, that was the top ten, baby. That was a fun. Right, that was a gentlemen. fun top ten. It was. Do you guys want to get into some head scratchers, some WTF moments? Yes, sir. All right, so I'm going to kick it off. And you guys, I, I think we're all expecting this one to be on here. We all know Mr. Bill Belichick has a unique way of approaching the draft, and this year was no different. Mr. UC Chattanooga guard Cole Strange, as everybody expected, was the 29th overall pick. Uh, I don't think that was a surprise to anybody, right? No, that surprised me. <laughs> there was a 95% chance that he was going to be there with their next pick. I mean, Sean McVay, I don't know if you guys saw the video. He he made a joke saying, well, we wasted our time uh, scouting him for our 105th overall pick. So there was teams thinking he was going to potentially be there in the third round. It was, I, you know, it's Bill Belichick, so whatever, I'll let him, I'll let him do his thing. But if we really look at Bill Belichick's 
draft history. He's not a great drafter. He's really not. And to see a reach on uh, Chattanooga guard, Cole Strange, especially with how bad of a pro day, there was very few people that had a worse pro day than Cole Strange. You sure? Or, or, excuse me, not pro day. Pardon me. Uh, senior Bowl. Excuse me. Okay. Sorry. Okay. Sorry. Sorry. But Senior Bowl, he was getting bullied, you guys, and I, I, it was it was quite a surprise to me. I think it was quite a surprise to everybody else in the draft world to see Cole Strange go with the 29th overall pick. I think I think it's because it's Bill Belichick that he gets away with this. Oh but, yeah. I mean, imagine if like let's say Adam Gase did this, or you know what I'm saying? Like like that the, there would just be nonstop. Like the the internet would break with just jokes if it was Adam Gase. Well, <laughs> let me let let me let me say this. Ed, you were at the scene before. Before I get into my um, devil's advocate, Ed, you were at the Senior Bowl. What are your What are your uh, thoughts about Cole Strange? You, were you at the Senior Bowl? Or you just watched well, it intently. I, for, I forget. Well, well we got honest. we we got the media pass to do the to watch the tape. You know what I'm saying? Oh, okay, so, okay. So, so, what, so we what, got we got the scene, we got the practice tape. We watched the game. You know what I'm saying? What would you What you think about him? Cole Strange. Yeah. Uh, not a not a 29th pick for sure. Uh. You know, I thought I thought when I watched the offensive line group, I thought he was very average. I thought he I thought he kind of fell in the fell into the background. Okay, so here are a couple of things. Number one, just in the Patriots, I heard I heard this on something that the the Patriots have drafted a ton of Senior Bowl guys. I think forty one Senior Bowl guys Ooh. in in Belichick's time there. So they do identify that. But let me get into a, to a couple counterpoints, and then we can move on. Bill Belichick is a bad drafter when it comes to wide receivers and cornerbacks. Mm-hmm. You know, except for like J.C. Jackson and Asante Samuel years and years ago. J.C. Jackson when it, was actually undrafted. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> who was? J.C. Jackson was undrafted. J.C. Jackson was undrafted. Yes, sir. That's why. That's why I love that man so much. <laughs> oh, okay. Why did I think that he was a? You know what? It was a different guy. I thought. I, I thought he was a second round pick. No, I was thinking of someone else. Thank you for clarifying that, though. Um, so they they can. That's where he's kind of poor at drafting and identifying guys. But guards, I mean, he's got to hit a lot. Like we go back to like Logan Mankins. You get a guy like Shaq Mason, Joe Tooney. A lot of like the interior offensive linemen. The Patriots do do a good job at 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 identifying and drafting uh, players and then developing them. And Cole Strange, according to uh, Kentley Platt of the of Math Bomb RAS, all of that Cole Strange was a nine point nine five out of ten mm. as an athlete at a guard. He was an elite runner, elite agility, great explosion, good size. Like it's just uh, at least they got an athlete, right? Mm-hmm. Right. Am I, like at least they got an athlete. I'm try. I'm trying to make sense of it, guys. Right, right. I mean, it, uh, if you're a guy that's ranking in the nines of athletic scores, you know you're gonna. That's gonna increase your value regardless of film. And that's that's the nicest thing that we could say about that. Okay. <laughs> but they it, it's, really, it's they BB. Really liked we, his tape. They must have really liked his tape for some reason. Well, yeah, they must have. Yeah, but all right. Uh, do, do you and any of you gentlemen have a move that was just leaving you scratching your head? That was like, or what? not even just scratching, like something like, that could have surprised heck? you, like yeah. whoa, yeah. like what the? And then, so Ed, what was yours? I mean, I'd have to say the Jahan Dotson pick was the one that mm-hmm. scratched my head. 
But, uh, and, well, you know, that makes two of us, not three of us, but two of us for sure. <laughs> Definitely not three of us. But, um, that, that's the one that comes to mind. Some Jahan Dotson was somebody that I was preaching for. I was saying this guy is going to be a steal, but boy, at 16th overall, even I was like, um, okay. Like I, I understand why y'all like Jahan Dotson. Cause I'm on the same boat, but 16th overall, when you have scary Terry on the other side, when you have like legitimately bigger needs in wide receivers, it, it blew my mind. It blew my mind to see, and let alone, I mean, this is, it's not like he's going 29th overall or something. He was the 16th overall pick. That is mind blowing as even at, regardless of how high I was on Jahan Dotson, I really think this guy's going to be a baller in the NFL. 16 was too high. Yeah, and especially where they signed Curtis Samuel last year and right. have McLaurin. Like they, they they do love their Big Ten receivers. We can say that for sure. <laughs> but uh, it was it it was definitely surprising. I, I I did not see that coming. And but they had been linked to receivers. They had been linked. It's funny because they had been linked to Chris Olave at eleven, but they were willing to trade out of it. So that was so that that was one of those those. Was it a smoke screen? It must have been a smoke screen. Washington sent out, oh, we love Chris Olave, knowing the Saints did, mm-hmm. and trading up, getting that extra value, and them still getting the receiver that they wanted. I mean, I, t- uh, I would have went, I would have went Olave. Yeah, uh, of course. I would have stayed at 11 and taken Olave as well, if you were going to take a wide receiver. Um, my, I would say, if we're talking about WTF moments, mine, mine were in the trades. That happened, but I do have one pick that I want to address. But I'll get into the no. Actually, the the pick that I want to make is all in the trade. So let's let's get out of the way first. The one that I want to talk about before we get into players that are currently in the NFL. What the Vikings did to trade out of twelve and give that pick to the Lions, it should be studied in draft history forever in terms of worst value for a first rounder ever. Okay. The Vikings traded their 12th overall pick along with their 46th overall pick to the lions for 32, 34 and 66, which was like, you know, the top of the second round or third round, excuse me, the top of the third round dropping 20 spots in the first round to move up, 12 in the second and get the second pick of the third round, I thought value-wise was horrific. On top of the team that you traded was a division rival that got what many believed to be the best receiver in this draft. What were they doing? I was like, when I first saw the trade, I was like, whoa. And then I saw the pick and I was like, whoa, what a great (laughs) draft for the Lions. Like, this this is unheard of. But then when I saw the value, I was like, what the, man? Like, what, what? What is going on here? Did you all notice that trade compensation? And do you all think that is anywhere close to good value? Because obviously you all know how I feel about it. No, I'm 100% on the same board as you. And for a team like the Vikings, like like you just mentioned, you're you're giving that to a division rival, the Lions, who are absolutely on the come up. Say what you want about the Lions. I've been watching a lot of stuff this last week about... Uh, team like players within the Lions organizations and teams that have played the Lions saying this is a different team regardless of the record this is a different football team and they're headed in a great direction now you just gave them uh, so they have Amon Ross St. Brown who has the last eight weeks was one of the best receivers in the National Football League just got a guy that has the potential to be the best receiver in this class 
and you move down all the way to the last pick. And I'm not mad about the pick. Lewisine is a great football player, but I mean, do the Vikings not have other needs that they could have addressed early on and gotten, you know, best player available? It to to me to like you said to move up. What was it? What, Twelve spots in the second round. Yeah, oh, they yeah. moved up can, from can forty six to thirty four. That's can not... I moderately defend the pick? Not like yeah, totally defend ahead, the pick, ahead. but moderately defend the pick. I will say this is like safeties drop. You know what I'm saying? And if your guy is a safety, you might as well trade down. That's that's how I see it. What what pick were they at, Angela? That was they the were at twelve so... in the first round. Hold on, they were twelve in the first round. Lions were at thirty two. The Vikings were at forty six in the second round. Lions at thirty four. So they jumped up 12 in the second to drop 20 in the first just to get the second pick of the third round. Genuinely dislike that trade because, yes, okay, you, you get more depth on the back half. But if you're, if you're going safety first round, if you think that's your number one need on your football team, you had the opportunity to draft Kyle Hamilton right there with mm-hmm. pick 12. So I, I, to me, getting you know arguably the best safety prospect we've seen in, in a few years— that's so much more valuable to me than what you got in that trade. And, you know, no disrespect to Lewis Seen. I think he's going to be a good football He's not going to be Kyle Hamilton. He's not. So I, if, I, if I was the Vikings, I would have absolutely gone with Kyle Hamilton right there. You have a chance to have Kyle Hamilton learning and playing alongside Harrison Smith for a, a couple years. I would have loved that pick. Honestly, I, I, I'm on the same page as you, Angelo. What you got in return was not enough. All right. If that's all on that one, the other two WTF moments for me were just the the wide receiver trades. It was the the for the biggest one was the AJ Brown mm-hmm. trade. Obviously, the Philadelphia Eagles acquiring AJ Brown for a first and a like compensatory third round pick to get him. I mean, I I was with an Eagles uh, friend, a fan that a friend of mine. And that was just, that was a moment of pandemonium. We were like, "Oh my God, what just happened?" <laughs> like that had to have been probably number one. And then the other one makes a lot more sense today than at the time of the draft. Like when, when the when the Cardinals traded a first round pick for Marquise Marquise Brown. I mean, that was just like, "What what are you all doing?" But now that DeAndre Hopkins came out and he was suspended and, mm-hmm. you know, they weren't really in the position to draft a, you know, a receiver they thought could help right away. I think it makes a little more sense now, uh, but still, that was, that, that was a WTF moment and more of the, what are y'all, like, what, what not, I don't think there's a single team other than the Cardinals that would have traded a first-round pick for, for Brown. No, I, I 110% agree with you, and I also think it helps that, you know, um, Kyler Murray probably values Brown a little bit higher than, you know, say a majority of the rest of the league would because if that was his college teammate. So um, I, I know guys are always going to be banking to get their college teammates. I, I guess that, like it makes sense, and, and he's a franchise quarterback, but with the way that Kyler Murray has handled what's gone on, I mean, it's it's almost Ben Simmons-esque. Like, I don't know if I want to yeah. be in the business of making Kyler Murray happy right now. Like, I want him to make us happy. Like, right. yo, you – like we're we're trying over here. What are you doing? And I I don't know. But I mean I get it. I would rather have Kyler Murray as my franchise quarterback than not. So I guess. And if if you gentlemen don't mind, I have one more pick that I'll go over it quick. But I was just like, you're really gonna take that over the guy that's going that's still available. I did not like Tyler Smith from Tulsa going to the Cowboys. When you have Tyler Linderbaum right there, I get it. I know tackle is a much bigger position of need than a, than a center. It's a lot harder to find. Like, 
I get it. But Tyler Linderbaum is a top 10 player in this class. And you took a very raw tackle prospect over a guy that's like pretty much going to be your a guaranteed day one starter. I could be mistaken. They could be a lot higher on their current center than, than I realize. But the fact that you took Tyler Smith over Tyler Linderbaum blew my mind. And I'm also probably just a little upset about it because you let him fall right into the Ravens lap. But to me, taking a guy that's going to be a guaranteed smash at center over a very raw physical prospect at tackle was quite a head scratcher to me. I I definitely didn't expect it. It seems like he's a high upside developmental tackle with a low floor is really what Tyler Smith mm-hmm. is, and they can play him at guard or tackle or whatever. The Cowboys seem to be a team that also is very much area heavy, like in the terms of their scouting. Like think about the players like like Ceedee Lamb, Neville Gallimore, uh, Des Bryant, Morris Cla- Claiborne. Uh, they seem to like Connor Williams of Texas. They seem to very much stick in that Texas, Oklahoma, even into like. Louisiana, Mississippi, like Arkansas, like that area, they love staying locally with their picks. And that's one thing that I think this even further confirms instead of getting a guy like Linderbaum, taking a guy that's more close by. I know that seems minute, like, but look at the history. It almost, it almost rings more true than just a happenstance. Right. And I mean, that's, and that's something that I have to open my eyes up to at this point is, you know, a lot of these guys are going to some, a team within their region and, that's that's something that I as a you know as a draft scout I need to look out for. Unless you're to the Jaguars, which is <laughs> Utah, Wyoming, Montana State, they're just like where where is the most where 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 do the least fo- amount of football players come from? Let's go there and make our what's, team up. Maybe opposite, that's why they're so what's bad. What's the complete opposite of Jacksonville, and we're taking <laughs> everybody from there? <laughs> What'd you think? Did you like the pick or no, Ed? No, no. I, I mean, I don't, I don't think he's a first-round pick. First of all, second of all, I mean, the fact of the matter is, is a why, why, why did, why did Tyler Linderbaum drop? Like, what, what's the explanation? I don't believe it, but what's the explanation? Center. Oh, not only that, it's like, oh, physically, he's just not like dominant. You know, like if you look at some first-round centers or higher guys, they're all like six-four, three hundred plus, like all of this, and Linderbaum is viewed as tiny. That's why. Even though his tape is perfect, against they're, they're, a, a, against a conference that has like is always run blocking and has huge people up front, he his tape says to me, "I need a bigger challenge." You know what I'm saying? This is not the level. It's like it's like it's like one of those things where it's like it's he's in little league and he's in like AAA, and they're like, "You need to go up to majors, buddy." You know what I mean? Like you're just <laughs> you're you're too good for this league. You know what I mean? Oh, like we, I think you have consensus agreement on this staff. I had Linderbaum fifth overall oh absolutely he's top 10 player for me as well yeah and i i don't like i i don't love how certain positions get biased and certain others don't i mean that's the only reason why trey mcbride went like mid to late second round right i mean because the 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 trey mcbride position just gets disrespected i mean Uh, the trey mcbride (laughs) position yeah that te you mean t tb right Um, i'm just i'm just saying like if you're the pittsburgh steelers like I like George Pickens and all, and he could be your number three. Mm. But you know what? Why not change things up a bit and say, you know what? I'm going to run a two tight end set on third down, and I'm going to have Trey McBride and Pat Fryermuth on the same field at the same time, and being in my slot. That's that's what a that's what a smart football team would do. I, I just 
I don't know. I'm gonna get oh, fired we'll, right now. I we'll thought get Trey into McBride. It. I thought Trey McBride was overrated by you all. I thought I thought that like you know you were saying that the tight end position isn't isn't valued when Kyle Pitts just went fourth overall. It's just there there are levels to this. So so bring me all of your hate. Boo, put a boo boo soundtrack in here. I'm ready. <laughs> oh, for I'll, it. I'll definitely I'll get that ready. You ever talk about Trey again? <laughs> I, I, uh, I know <laughs> some bars in Fort Collins you should not go to. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, goodness. I love it. <laughs> Hop into our favorite moves, or do we want to... No, let's do that. We've talked about smoke screens, I think, yeah. enough. Like, like for example, Stingley turned out to be true uh, there, but uh, some things like Washington loving Olave. Uh, there was Steelers rumors that maybe Seattle loved Jordan Davis. There were there were certain ones out of here. Um is there any other ones that you all can think of? Because other than that, I feel like we've kind of hit on most. Trayvon Walker at one was real, mm-hmm. like those. So I just felt there were fewer smoke screens and more information gathered, like intel, than usual. Right, stuff that we genuinely thought was going to be a smoke screen actually turned out to be real life, and it's just like, oh, all right, I bet then. that's a product of the lack of quarterbacks. It seems like when it's a quarterback draft, the smoke screens are like, f- like mm-hmm. fear, like just fast and furious. Whereas where there wasn't a quarterback hustle it was more more of just intel no I, I think a, i think a lot of teams played it like a lot of teams uh, i mean the the obvious smoke screen was you know the steelers with uh malik willis but other than that i really oh, that was huge I, I mean i thought the trayvon walker was a smoke screen but <laughs> i mean they they, <laughs> they 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 actually pulled the trigger on that i was surprised i don't know how that got leaked well ed Let's let's hop over into our favorite moves, my friend. Do you do you have a move that you are just absolutely fawning over? I mean, pretty much the whole Ravens draft. <laughs> yeah, aren't we all, buddy? Aren't we all? Like we're, we're like struggling it's like, here. It's, 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 like, it's like whoever the you know the new the new GM of the Ravens. Like they if they can just have his mind like AI like auto draft for me. <laughs> like I don't even have to do my automated drafts on fans on a, on a whatever site you know those you know those mock drafts. Like he just kind of does them for me. You know he just thinks of whoever I was going for. No, absolutely. I mean he absolutely killed the draft. Killed. The, I mean if you guys go look at my Twitter, I have said. I will be a happy human if the Browns get so-and-so. Well, the Ravens just so happen to get so-and-so. I said, I'll be super upset if the Ravens happen to draft Kyle Hamilton and Tyler Linderbaum. Guess who they happen to draft, folks? Kyle Hamilton and Tyler Linderbaum. So us AFC North boys are struggling right now. (laughs) I'll say this. I thought in a vacuum they had it. I, they had an A-plus draft. I mean, in a vacuum, when you hit on your first four picks as hard as you hit on them, you've essentially created the foundation to your team. I'll say the one thing that I have against the Ravens draft is that if you look, and they, they need to make a move before training camp, if you look at the rest of the AFC, what has been the one consistent theme that every team's done? It is building around their franchise quarterback. You look at what uh, the the Chargers do for Justin Herbert. You look at what uh, what's happening in Miami. What what you know, getting Devontae Adams for Derek Carr. Uh, you you just look around at what's happening in the AFC. Look at Jamar Chase last year for Joe Burrow and T Higgins and re-signing Joe Mixon and all that. All of these teams are getting great on offense. I mean, even Garrett Wilson was Zach Wilson, like in Brees Hall, which that was a pick I loved. This was a great, fantastic draft, but 
Lamar's throwing to scarecrows, man. Like, <laughs> what? What are we gonna? What is he supposed to? Like, everybody says Lamar's a crap passer. Okay, you know what? He's not as great of a passer as some of these top guys. Sure. Okay, but he's still a generational talent that can that can still thrive off of creating that offense to where you can multifacet them. But essentially at this point, you can just play man and just blitz the crap out of the front of the line. And it's like, I don't care how good Tyler Linderbaum is. Like, I don't care that Isaiah Likely or whatever is a fourth round. Like, dude, you are hurt right now at the receiver position. Like, Rashad Bateman better be really, really good or you're, you're smoked. And that's just what I was frustrated by. As much as I, I, like I said, in a vacuum, A plus, 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 plus draft. And we all agree on that. But I do feel like that neglecting helping Lamar goes against everything that every other team does. No, I, well, I, I'm, cur- I, I'm curious if you guys think that like our drafting strategy is like, it maybe like how we think at NFL draft blitz kind of correlates to like what, what, uh, what the Baltimore Ravens are thinking because the Baltimore Ravens have have been successful. You know what I'm saying, like that. And when, when you think about good drafting teams, I mean, I know there's a new guy now, but Ozzie Newsome. I mean, he's he, he's probably going to be in the Pro Football Hall of Fame for GMs, right? Like, there's something there's something about that organization that knows how to draft that I, I think we toot our own horn and say we we see it too. No, I mean, not- I I, I th- I'm sorry, Brendan. I was just going to say no. I maybe maybe it's because. We've been in the game so long and have watched Ozzie Newsome kill so many drafts that it's just it's just easy. Like I think teams overcomplicate it, and a team like the Ravens didn't. But again, just like trading away Marquise Brown and then not, it's just it's just hard. I feel bad for Lamar because I you would have to say that the Ravens have a bottom five receiving core in the NFL. Oh yeah, without a doubt. Yeah, but they that's, have tight, that's, they have tight ends to throw to, and they can run the ball. But they, at the end of the day. I, yeah. At the end of the day, you need more than Rashad Bateman. I mean, if, are you expecting Rashad Bateman to have an 180 receptions next year? I mean, yeah, Rashad we're talking Bateman's about a team a making the super, you know, that could I, make I'm a just, super. I'm Bowl. just saying, if any of you guys are playing fantasy football, and I bet it's all of you, I would be looking at Rashad Bateman for stats. Oh yeah. Oh it's yeah. A, yeah. I've, I don't know. <laughs> that's all. That's all I want to say as a caveat. I I am with you all 100. percent They we to spoil it. They were the number one graded team of the draft, in my opinion. I, I don't okay. think that's a hot take, but I, I do don't think, think that's that, a hot take at all. No, but I do think that they they did neglect possibly like the most important thing, and he still hasn't signed that extension. It's going to get weird in Baltimore with, with there very, very soon. No, absolutely. And uh, I, if if you gentlemen don't mind, I'll I'll throw in my picks that I really liked, and this one's going to make Ed a little grumpy, but <laughs> I absolutely go look at my Twitter, folks. This was one of the players I said. I will be super happy if the Browns land him day two, but guess what? Guess who happens to land him? The Pittsburgh Steelers, and that's George Pickens. Ed, I know you have a lot of bust potential around this guy, and I won't even mention just George Pickens. I'm going to say George Pickens and Calvin Austin. Calvin Austin was a guy that was my most underrated wide receiver. Uh, I, I just absolutely love what you're doing. I know, Ed, you you say I know, we have Chase Claypool, we have Deontay Johnson, but do you— it's it's really not much deeper than that. Miles Boykin and Anthony Miller to me are you are you are one hundred percent correct. No, I have no problem with drafting the wide receiver position in that scenario, right? I just I have no, yeah. It just it just wasn't my guy. Like it no, just wasn't. It's it's the player, not the position. 
And I understand that, but this is what I'll say about George Pickens, you know. We know the AFC North. We know how they play ball. The AFC North, you got to be a tough son of a gun to play there, okay? George Pickens brings that dog mentality. I mean, he is a Steelers wide receiver. I mean, <laughs> I there's not a better fit. I mean, like, I just, I think he brings that AFC North mentality. Uh, I don't know if you guys saw the video of him getting drafted. The dude's just... He's ready to go out there and, and ruin some people's lives. So, so um, to, to be able to get him and then get a guy, Calvin Austin, who I think is going to greatly benefit you on special teams. And I know Deontay Johnson could be could be a guy that flourishes at the slot, but I also think Deontay is so talented that you can put him outside and kind of plug Calvin Austin in in that slot and let him work underneath like crazy. You guys have, I mean, you have Chase Claypool, you have a receiving talent across the board. You have a guy that's big and physical, can make the hard 50-50 ball catches, and that you have all the talent in between that, all the way down to a guy that's super tiny, super shifty, and you need some of the quickest guys in football to cover that. So you guys have created a receiving core where you need a deep amalgamation, a deep, like, you need all the talent, all the different sides and skills that you can get as a defensive back to be able to cover every aspect of this football team. You cannot attack them all in one way, and I think you guys have built such a versatile receiving core. I mean, I I really think, yes, it was nice to have Juju on that team, but for all the different types of talent, how well these guys are going to bend with one another is phenomenal, and I really think that the Steelers receiving core is going to be disgusting next year. Yeah, I, uh, I just just to hop in real quick. My one of my favorite picks was I, I when we were talking about him beforehand. I'm pretty sure I specifically mentioned mentioned Demarvin Leal being like mm-hmm. the prototype three four Steelers defensive end, and he's gonna he'll put on 15 pounds in the NFL just to get him in the third round to become that next like Super Bowl like level starting D- three four defensive end like in the Stefan Tuitt like that type of role I, mean, he, I was he, like he's, come he's, on man he's, he's Stefan Tuitt's replacement he's definitely yeah, like 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 exactly. when Stefan Tuitt decides to hang up his cleats like DeMarvin Leal will be the guy right like that's the next that's the next and that's actually my favorite pick of the Steelers so far uh, DeMarvin Leal was a guy that I you know I like the versatility he had in college, but I'm questioning how it's going to translate to the NFL level. I I definitely agree with you guys how like that versatility, if it works out, it's gonna. No 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 no. There's no versatility. No versatility. He's a three four defensive end in my opinion. Like that's exactly what he was like born to play, and that's why I thought it was perfect that he went to the Steelers. Like that is his position. We can talk about versatility, but no three four in. He's six four. He's two eighty plus. Like he's gonna get to two ninety, hovering around three hundred in the league. Like he has the quickness to play the position and the strength as well. Like I I, I don't know. I you keep saying versatility, but I think three four defense in has always been like the position for him in the NFL. That's why I loved the pick to the Steelers so much. I'm just saying I mean, versatility I mean, he's in the play, sense he's of how gonna, he was used at Texas A&M. Well, right, I'm just, right. I, I agree with Brendan just in the fact that he's going to be a backup. So, I mean, the thing is, is like when you need a nose tackle, when you need to relieve a nose tackle and Stefan Tuitt's on the field and Cameron Hayward's on the field, you're going to bring in Leal and play, have him play nose tackle. But he, but he is, but but I agree with Angela in the sense that his his position, like going forward, what he is in the NFL going forward, he is a three four defensive end. He is Stefan Tuitt's replacement. All right. Did did anybody else have a pick that they were just raving over? 
obviously like my love for Josh Pascal and him going to Detroit <laughs> with Aiden Hutchinson was uh, I was, was waiting for the Kentucky man, eh, Angela. I know, I know. Wandale to New York, all that good stuff. No, I, I really we hit. I mean, David Ajabo. That's part. That's, that's really what kind of cemented that Ravens draft to wait on him a year and getting like a true premier pass rusher. I liked the John Mechie pick. I actually liked it, it this in the same vein of the Ravens on a lesser scale. I really liked that the bears came in and got Kyler Gordon and Jaquan mm-hmm. Brisker. And we're like, Hey, we're going to fix our secondary. Like right. this Be- is what we're going to do. And they took two late first round talents in those spots. But then again, it's the same thing with, with uh, Justin Fields, like it is Lamar and saying, okay, but, you know, the, the the league is showing you, the great teams in the league are showing you, you take care of your offense and your quarterback first and then everything else. Um, but on the flip side of that, one team that is deciding against that model, I thought it was interesting that after the Tyreek Hill trade, the Chiefs are settling back into that, we're not the best team in the league, but we want to be a top five team for the next 10 years. I thought Trent McDuffie and George Karloftis were big signs pointing to that, where those guys are are day one impact players and are going to be long-term starters that are going to be in cheap contracts for a while. I thought both of them were, you know, definite first-round talents. I had Karloftis in my top 10. It just seemed like the that for them, some of these teams, you know, Green Bay was another one that built defense, defense, and then a trade up for Christian Watson. Uh, some other picks that I liked, I liked, obviously, I was high on Booth. He dropped. I like the Eagles draft, like when they mm-hmm. went Cameron Jurgens because Jason Kelsey's going to retire soon and then going to get Nicobe Dean on top of getting A.J. Brown. And I'm not the biggest Jordan Davis guy, but that athleticism and getting the guy that helped Nicobe Dean be Nicobe Dean. I thought was I thought was a, a you know like I thought they had a pretty good draft uh, overall. And then of course I think the best pick like uh, my, my favorite pick of the entire you know first two days I would have to say wouldn't it be Malik Willis at eighty six? I mean to get a guy that we all thought was a first round talent I was going gonna mention, to the I was gonna mention team. it. I mean, go I, ahead, go ahead, Ed. You take over. No, I just I I like the move in the fact that you know as a guy who's coming from Liberty like he can he can spend two years if he wants to. Getting an NFL contract, practicing in an NFL, you know, practices, getting used to the speed of the game, playing in NFL preseason games, and not play it down. And then maybe he comes in year three, and he's the guy, you know. But uh, I, I like Ryan Tannehill, and uh, I know how you guys feel, and uh, <laughs> you know we've solved the problem. <laughs> um, you know we've we've dealt with it internally, um, but <laughs> we've dealt with it internally, but. Uh, <laughs> You know, I've just seen it too many times. I mean, this reminds me of the Jalen Hurts pick, where it was kind of like they took him on day two, and they're like, oh, he's never going to play. He's just going to sit back there. And believe me, something goes wrong. And I just – I don't know. It's like the Madden curse. I just I just think when you take a quarterback on day two, a running quarterback on day two, it was high upside. I just, I just, I just think in like two years that – He's going to be Malik Willis is going to be the guy for the Titans some way or another. Like there's just I don't know whether he comes in a game when when he's hurt and he plays really well and then they say you know what Tannehill's expendable we'll send him somewhere else. I just I just think I just think he's going to win a job. 
I'll, I'll say just for two more, uh, Devontae Wyatt to the Packers. I, they really needed a 3-4 end, and I was glad to see Wyatt go there. I thought he was probably the top 3-4 defensive end in the class. I know he played three-tech defensive tackle at Georgia, but at his size, he's going to be able to play that position well. I think the sleeper pick, and I mentioned it earlier, but I think it really got under-talked about in the midst of like the A.J. Brown trade and everything. The Lions jumping up for Jamison Williams. Like, we were talking about a receiving core that was an NFL all-time bad last year to get a guy that could be the best receiver of this class. I think a lot of people thought during the season he was the best prospect in the class. Like, that, just one player like that is a major, major facelift to an offense. I, I thought that that was, for them to trade up that high, and I didn't know who it was for. I thought it was for Kyle Hamilton. But to get Jamison Williams, I was like, oh, that makes perfect sense. I, I thought that was a sleeper really good pick. And then uh, his teammate, John Mechie, to the to the Texans, I actually I actually kind of like that one too. Awesome. Well, that's, Jim- all. I'll, that's, that's all. Kyle, Kyle Hamilton, obviously, is probably everybody's favorite pick at 14 or Linderbaum or, you know, Ravens, Ravens, Ravens. <laughs> but before we wrap it up, I want to add one more. And we, we kind of went over this, but – I think I love it just for how it worked out for them and the Eagles to get Traylon Burks. So I, you guys have saw, seen like... The Titans. Oh, yes. Yeah, pardon me. Because, um, yes, they traded A.J. Brown to the Eagles. And I don't know if you guys, everybody listening, the number one comparison for Traylon Burks for months was A.J. Brown, right? I mean, they're very similar players, very similar skill sets. So Tennessee's sitting here saying, okay... Well, we might have to pay A.J. Brown $100 million. Well, how about we just trade him away instead, and we get a first-round pick, get A.J. Brown 2.0, and instead of paying $100 million, we pay, what, $14, $15 million? So it, it, to be able to get a player that has drawn such similar comparisons that you probably are going to, I don't want to you know, say he's going to live up to the to the expectations that A.J. Brown lived out, because A.J. Brown's phenomenal. Um, but to be able to get a player that's regarded to be the, the 2.0 version of him and get him for $85 million cheaper was just, it was a great, just such a big brain move by the Philadelphia Eagles to me. Tennessee Titans. Gosh, sorry, sorry, sorry. It's, it's because A.J. Brown got traded to the Eagles, excuse me. But yes, big brain move by the Tennessee Titans. Thanks, thanks for the, the thanks for that, Angelo. No, it's just yeah, no, I got I got your back at all times. Yeah, I I really like Traylon Burks. Like I, I do. I, I I was worried a little bit about the testing like numbers with him from what we saw on tape, but if you look at it, like some of the some of the parts that he wasn't quite the athlete AJ Brown was, but I think AJ Brown wasn't as great of an athlete as we remember. He's a little bigger. I just I I I think it was kind of the the thing the thing with the Titans is that they for so long have struggled trying to find a, a, a true receiver going back to even picking Corey Davis fifth overall that they got someone that everybody consensusly really liked just to flip them for another, like got to prove it guy. Mm-hmm. I think that's a, that was a big risk. That was the only thing I didn't like about it, but yeah, if Traylon Burks is AJ Brown, but healthier then it's a home run for the Titans and they did it perfectly. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the Titans are a team that they understand that need, they need to fix some serious issues on the defensive side of the ball. And, you know, with, with how expensive these corners are getting and stuff, they're, you know, $100 million to a receiver is not going to help you out too much. So uh, I, I completely understand the vision with that. I understand where they're going. And, you know, if it works out the way that they're drawing it up, I think that that was one of the smartest moves done in day one. But, folks, 
If you guys don't have anything left to add, I think that wraps it up for our uh, day one and two draft recap. And uh, we'll, we'll be back. We'll have another show coming out this week because there's a lot of t- there's a lot to talk about for for the rest of the day. So we'll be back on tomorrow. We'll be talking about day three, and we're going to be talking about some of the similar stuffs, winners and losers from the entire draft, and then we'll go more into depth from all the rounds four through seven. So I really appreciate you gentlemen hopping onto this show. I had such a great time. And as always, I appreciate everybody, you know, tuning into this episode of Blitzcast. Like I said, we'll be back with a, a double header this week. So if you gentlemen don't have anything left to add, I think that does it for us. Thanks a lot, Brandon. I am at, uh, my name is Angelo. I am at Angelo Media Lex. It's very simple, all one thing. You can follow me there for all of our draft content. And also, if you just want to get a little insight into what Central Kentucky's like, come over to at Angelo Media Lex. And my, I'm Ed Hunt, and, and uh, mine is at NFL Draft Ed. Awesome. And then altogether, we are NFL Draft Blitz, and we are NFL Draft Blitz um, on Twitter. And then my personal Twitter handle is at Bolin Brendan. So if you guys want to see any of our works, have anything to say about the podcast, just want to talk some football, feel free to reach out. We're we're nice guys. We might poke a little bit of fun at each other, but we, we love to talk football, you guys. So feel free to reach out. Gentlemen, I appreciate you too as always. You are always bringing some fantastic content to the show, and I am so excited to get into our day three topic tomorrow. Alrighty, folks. Well, those tuning into this episode of Blitzcast, you take care.